This week on Viewpoints. You can tell where the village ends and the resort starts because that's where you start to see palm trees. Understanding the fallout from fast expanding beach resorts. Then. Is it fruity or is it something else first? I think that that does an enormous amount for grounding you in what to expect from the wine. Diving into the study of wine, a beverage that dates back to 6000 BC. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Can't believe this new $2 cheesy double beef burrito has all these kinds of cheese going on. Plus nacho cheese sauce. It's like they read my mind when they made this. Nah, they couldn't have read your mind because it also comes in spicy. So they must have read my mind. Are you really getting competitive over whose mind Taco Bell is reading? Maybe. Try Taco Bell's new $2 cheesy double beef burritos. Burritos with the three cheese blend, nacho cheese sauce, and double the seasoned beef in classic and spicy. At participating stores for a limited time while supplies last. Price and participation vary. Tax extra. Double the seasoned beef as compared to beefy milk burrito. Milkshake? Quick, the quicker picker upper. Bounty picks up spills quicker. And each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less than the leading ordinary brand. So you can get back to your milkshake. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than your Bounty, the quicker picker upper. Despite steep prices and frustrating delays and cancellations, 2022 has still been deemed the year of travel by many experts. About 63% of Americans are planning to get away sometime this summer, according to TripAdvisor. Vacation spending is also up in 2022 compared to 2019. The average traveler is spending almost 30% more, choosing to shell out extra on better accommodations and extravagant destinations. A good chunk of these vacationers are heading somewhere relaxing where there's a beach, a frozen drink, and plenty of sun. For many Americans, popular beach destinations include Hawaii, Florida, Mexico, or somewhere a bit farther, like the coasts of Italy or Spain. For these well-known resort destinations, this influx of tourists provides a boost to the local economy. However, this commercialization of the land often comes with a price. Take the coastal town of Tulum, for instance, which is 80 miles south of Cancun. Tulum's tourism sector has exploded in recent years as foreigners from Europe, the U.S., and more flock to its pristine beaches. It did emerge very organically just as people started kind of wandering further and further south along the Riviera Maya from Cancun and Playa del Carmen. But as it grew... The infrastructure didn't keep up with it, so it's not hooked up to any kind of infrastructure. So it's a place that is presenting as an eco-paradise, and it's not really. It has a lot of ecological problems that are emerging as it gets more and more popular. That's Sarah Stadola, a writer and the author of the new book, The Last Resort, a chronicle of paradise, profit, and peril at the beach. Stadola narrows in on Tulum because it's a beautiful coastal town known for its white beaches, clear water, and rich history. The town of Tulum is actually a few miles inland, and what's happened to that town is that the population has just kind of exploded in that town. 
And so while that's always been a town, you know, that caters to locals, the rate of growth that it's experienced means that it too is kind of having a strain on its resources and its infrastructure is not as big as it needs to be at this point. And I think, you know, there's starting to be a little bit of frustration with competition for jobs and a lot of people moving into that town and that kind of thing. While an influx of tourism revenue can improve the overall standard of living, it comes at a price. In many cases, the culture of the town drastically shifts, with long-practiced customs and traditions slipping away. Stadola highlights the island country of Fiji as a prime example. Fiji in general is a really interesting place because land ownership rights are very strong for the local population. So whereas in a lot of, you know, kind of developing countries, the locals can very easily get their land taken away from them when beach tourism comes in, in Fiji, that doesn't happen. And so the village continues to own the land and lease the land on which the Navidi Resort runs. And so in that sense, it has been really beneficial to the village. At the same time, it has completely, I would say, decimated their former way of life. It's changed their culture completely. They've lost a lot of their former culture. You know, they can't fish anymore right offshore, which used to be a major part of their life. So they've lost a lot. At the same time, they've gained a ton in their standard of living. They have access to education and healthcare and all these things now that they didn't necessarily have access to before. Along with the loss of native culture, the influx of Westerners has wiped away the untouched eco-haven of these regions. Rather than rely on the unique beauty of places like Fiji, the land is bulldozed to make room for the typical stereotypes of resort life. If you go out into the water from the resort and look back at the resort and the village, you can tell where the village ends and the resort starts because that's where you start to see palm trees. And so that is a really interesting global element of beach tourism is that it has exported the coconut palm tree all around the world when really it's not native to anywhere except a couple of different places in Asia. So that has been a really profound kind of shift in the landscape that beach tourism has caused. These planted palm trees are just one part of the heavily constructed landscape. In fact, they serve little purpose other than signaling to tourists that they've reached resort land. Stadola says that many of these stereotypes, from the decor to the frozen cocktails, originated in Hawaii. The kind of ritual of getting a necklace, you know, in Hawaii, it's a lei. In some places, it's shell necklaces. That tradition of getting that when you arrive at the resort came from Hawaii. The whole surfing culture, you know, surf music, all of that stemmed ultimately from Hawaii. So I think really like Waikiki and Hawaii play a really big role in today's understanding of what beach culture looks like. Miley Meyer is a small business owner in Hawaii. Meyer has been working with local arts organizations since she was a teenager and now owns Native Books, a business dedicated to sharing and preserving Hawaiian culture. Born and raised on Oahu, Meyer is no stranger to tourists. She says people who try to learn the culture and customs of the places they visit are more than welcome. But from experience, not everyone cares. They're serious takers because they think that we're a hosting culture, we're a rooted culture. We were here thousands of years ago. So the idea that we can offer people hospitality implies choice. So visitors who come demanding something 
and thinking that we as rudiculture people, not only Kanako Iwi, but Hawaiians, people who are attentive to the cadence and the specialness of a place like Hawaii, a place in the middle of the ocean connected to everything, those kind of people are the ones who visitors who are picking up their own trash, respectful of how they drive, where they visit and when they visit. The other guys who are coming in just in droves really need an education about how this is not Disneyland. Meyer believes in general the tropical tourism industry needs to change. This lack of understanding can cause a lot of harm to destinations like Hawaii that are more than just a sunny getaway. Developers ravage the land, build massive resorts, and encourage hordes of people to visit. And once they're done, the locals and wildlife are left to deal with the long-term consequences. You can learn a lot from places like Hawaii. That dynamic is coming, a different quality of visitor. And I didn't say more money. I said different understanding of place, a little more of a guest in the best sense of the word, a little more careful about how they travel, how they behave. Those are good things. It gives us as local people a chance to have the option to welcome them into our world. Stadola agrees with Meyer and believes that there should be no harsh separation between the beach resort and the local community. The look, feel, and amenities offered for tourists should match the native culture and customs. I think that makes for a richer, better experience for the traveler. At the same time, it makes hosting beach tourism a better experience for the locals. So, the next time you're searching for a tropical vacation, forego the all-inclusive resort with the palm trees and endless lines of beach cabanas. Dig a little deeper and stay somewhere that's not as developed. Stadola has one place in mind that's doing a good job of mixing tourism into the local economy. St. Kitts in the Caribbean is a really compelling example there because they didn't really start in on beach tourism until maybe 15 years ago when their sugar industry finally shut down. And because of that, they were able to, first of all, learn from the mistakes of other <laughs> Caribbean countries. And not only that, but they were already a kind of middle income country. So they had some power, you know, and autonomy already with which to start this. And so they've made a concerted effort to integrate beach tourism into the community. And they're making a really big effort not to have the resorts be these bubbles, you know, within the island. And you really notice it on the ground when you go there. When you go to a beach bar there, you're not just with tourists. It's a really good mix of locals and tourists. And so I'm really interested to see as their industry grows, if they can maintain that. To find out more about this topic and our guests, Sarah Stadola and Miley Meyer, visit viewpointsradio.org. For more behind-the-scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. Also, check out Sarah Stadola's new book, The Last Resort, a chronicle of paradise, profit, and peril at the beach. Available online and in bookstores. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up studying wine without all of the snobbery when Viewpoints returns. 
Imagine buying a pair of sneakers and getting a soothing, gentle foot massage like you'd get during a relaxing pedicure just by walking. You might think this sounds too good to be true, but we think it sounds like Skechers' new Massage Fit sneakers. Because Skechers, the comfort technology company, has designed a unique innovation that makes it feel like you're pampering your feet with a gentle massage in every step. The secret is Skechers' new patented wave technology on the sole that gently massages your feet while you're walking around. It feels amazing and is so gentle you can wear them all day just like your other favorite Skechers sneakers. And not only will you be getting the massage, you'll also be getting Skechers' other famous comfort features, like a special luxury insole that offers extra support for 24-7 comfort. Plus, they come in a variety of fashionable styles, including lace-up and slip-ons, and they're machine washable for easy care. Get a bonus massage in every step with Skechers' new massage fit. Find them for men and women at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Better skin from your body wash? Try Olay Body Wash with skincare super ingredient, collagen. Olay Body Wash with collagen hydrates to rejuvenate skin surface cells for healthier-looking skin in just 14 days from dry and dull to firm and radiant. So I can step into my day feeling my best in my skin. And now try Olay Body Lotion, which hydrates for visibly firmer skin that improves over time. Olay Body, fearless in my skin. Research shows listeners don't like it when ads interrupt their music. So to help you remember that Liberty Mutual customizes home insurance, we made this ad optional. If you want to skip this ad, remove your left earphone. Liberty Mutual customizes home insurance, so you only pay for what you need. If you're missing this informative ad, you must love wasting your cash. It's the easy and smart way to save. Now it's all been said, so if that earphone was out, put it back in your head. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. For those who don't often drink wine, it can be an intimidating field to dive into. What exactly differentiates a glass of dry Sauvignon Blanc from a bold Syrah? Do I like notes of vanilla, oak, and spice in my wine, or more of a lighter citrus variety? These are all fair questions, but let's get one of the biggest misconceptions out of the way first. What exactly makes a good wine? People often think it's the price that determines the quality. That's just not true. We are in the best time ever for wine and being on a budget because most of the best stuff is under $20. That's Elizabeth Schneider, a certified sommelier and host and creator of the podcast Wine for Normal People. Often the wine industry is seen as expensive and elitist, but she's all about opening up the world of wine to everyone and finding varieties that appeal to all budgets and preferences. Schneider uses her expertise to get people to think deeper about the glass in front of them. What are some of the flavor notes? Is it dry? What kind of meal would it go well with? These are just some of the questions that are important to reflect on. As you're getting to know wine, the most important thing really is if you're really interested in the topic, then you've got to do some reading and you've got to do some background because there's a high barrier to entry and wine is complicated. Anybody that says that wine is easy or that you can be a professional wine person or an expert in 60 seconds or in 10 minutes or in two days, it's just not true. And I think that saying that out loud 
helps take some of the burden off and don't expect to be an expert right away. It doesn't come easy. And that's part of the joy of it. So you got to embrace that instead of resisting it. Cause I think that's part of the problem is that we see that barrier to entry and we go, Oh my God, I'll never be that person. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to be a dork like me, but knowing a couple things will get you so far in wine. You just have to be patient with yourself. So starting today, the days of wandering aimlessly through the wine aisle or relying on your waiter to offer up an overpriced recommendation are over. To start off, it's important to loosely understand the process of winemaking. The grapes grown to make wine are different than the grapes you'd find at your local grocery store. Wine grapes have seeds that are smaller, sweeter, and have thicker skins. After the grapes are harvested and crushed, they're fermented and aged for several months or years, so there's a rare chance that a barrel can go bad during this process. Because of this, it's important to learn what a wine should never look or smell like. You look at a wine, you see, does it look okay? I feel like if you had food, you would take that food and look at it before you popped it in your mouth, right? But... People don't do that with wine, and it's crazy because wine is an agricultural product, and it's a product of chemical processes, and it also goes through a lot of transportation. So you should always look at your wine. Also, there's the issue of cork, so cork could be floating in your wine. You should always look at it first. So I always look at it to make sure it looks okay, and I think we go from the least offensive sense to the most offensive or most intrusive sense. So first you look at it. That's not going to kill anybody. Then you smell it and you make sure, does it smell okay to me? Not do I like it, but is it something that smells okay? Does it smell like a wet, dirty dog or potpourri or something nasty? If that's the case, then likely something went wrong in all of those processes of making it and you can't drink it. But if your wine doesn't smell like burnt rubber or a wet dog, you're all clear of potential poisoning and can move forward. Now, getting into the different categories of wine... Obviously, the two broad distinctions are red and white varietals. In red wines, you can expect fruity or tart flavors, such as plum, cherry, or black currant, layered with bolder aromas, like vanilla, leather, pepper, or nutmeg. Merlot is a good introductory red, because it's in the middle of the pack. It's smooth, fruity, and relatively easy to drink. When it comes to white wines, you'll taste more flowery, buttery, citrus-forward elements that can range from lemon to pear to other more tropical fruits. If you're looking for a sweeter white wine, try a glass of Riesling or Moscato. If you prefer a dry but bold taste, find a Chardonnay with notes of apple and pear. Is it fruity or is it something else first? I think that that does an enormous amount for grounding you in what to expect from the wine. I think because wine is made from grapes, a lot of times we think, oh, it should be fruity. It should taste like fruit. But that's not always the case. Again, because I said, you know, it's agriculture and it's different grapes from the stuff that we just pop in our mouths from table grapes. So these grapes all have different qualities. So you've got to see, okay, is it fruit first or is it smell earthy? And then does it taste good? Does it taste like things that I like? Does it have good mouth drying qualities that make it good with food? That may not be good by itself, but it's really good with food. Or acidity underneath your tongue, waters and waters and waters. Those things make wine fantastic. Each wine is different because of its origin and the earthiness of the soil the grapes grow on. 
The type of oak barrel that it's aged in also matters because it infuses different spices and notes depending on the wood. If you tend to like bolder, funkier cheeses, try wines from Italy, France, or Spain. If you prefer cleaner, smoother notes, try a bottle from New Zealand or Australia. By this point, you can see that the world of wine is complex and it's a journey. But before you spend money on a bottle or case of wine, Schneider says narrow down your field of focus. So my advice is, and I know that this is sort of coming from a wine dork perspective, before you go into the store is where the action is. Don't walk into a wine store not knowing what you want to get. You'll get lost. So maybe do a little bit of research. Maybe see, okay, think about what you might be eating. Do you want a red or a white? As soon as you make the decision about whether you want a red wine or a white wine, a bubbly or a sweet wine, whatever, you've already cut down half the store, right? So that's really helpful. And if you've committed to trying many different varietals, look for a wine shop near you that you actually like. When that person who you really hope is not snotty, or maybe they're not snotty. A lot of people who work in wine shops absolutely know nothing about wine. It's not their fault. They're not trained, but they start talking about things. You have no idea what they're talking about. You'll already say, I want a fruity red wine. I want a wine that's going to go with this that I'm having for dinner. I want a pizza wine. That is going to help enormously. If you're getting a couple of bottles for the week, just try to get a sense of why you want that wine. It will save you money. It will point you in new directions. And the other thing I would tell you is do some wine shop dating. Pick out a couple shops and find the people you feel comfortable with. Everybody's got their wine tribe, as I call it. And maybe you like the really snotty place, but maybe you don't. Maybe you want somebody who's down to earth and can explain things in a good way. So all those things factor in. The most important thing to remember when studying wine is that it's a process. No one becomes a wine whiz in one day. It takes years to become a certified sommelier, and the wine industry is always evolving. In fact, some wineries are now aging their wine underwater, speeding up production times and sometimes adding a more mineral or salty taste to the variety. Who knew? There's so much history, craftsmanship, and detail behind each bottle. So the next time you're in the market, maybe try something new. Who knows? Maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Elizabeth Schneider, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri and originally aired in May of 2020. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. Are you looking for an escape? An immersive getaway? There's a place for all your wildest dreams. Perhaps you enjoy rapping along to Paperboy, or you believe that blessed be the fruit, or you dream of yelling, huzzah! So whether you're sworn to Team Kim, or you just want a mystery murder, there's a place for you. From Atlanta to only murders in the building, to the Kardashians and more, it's all on Hulu. Check into your obsessions. Hulu subscription required. Terms apply. Visit Hulu.com for plan details. My heart was racing just making spaghetti. I could have waited to tell my doctor, but I didn't wait. I was short of breath just reading a book. I could have delayed telling my doctor, but I didn't wait. 
They told their doctors and found out they have atrial fibrillation, a condition which makes it about five times more likely to have a stroke. If you have one or more of these symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, or lightheadedness, this is no time to wait. Contact your doctor. Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine American culture, what's new and old in books, film, and entertainment. I was in the first or second grade when I started reading Harry Potter books. My brother is four years older than me and insisted I read them. He insisted so much that he actually sat down and read the first four books to me. We once passed the time on a 25-hour car ride from Florida back home to Chicago by reading a majority of Goblet of Fire out loud. We waited in line at a bookstore until midnight for The Order of the Phoenix and The Deathly Hallows. We were busy when Half-Blood Prince came out, but went first thing in the morning. And yes, we went to see some of the movies at midnight. But, and hang with me, neither of us really loved the movies. I know it's tough to adapt books to movies, but some of the omissions really bothered us. Why is the longest book the shortest movie? Who decided to make the ultra-dark sixth year into a movie that is trying its hardest to be a coming-of-age comedy? And why, oh why, was a question Dumbledore asked Harry calmly in the books turned into this in the movie? Harry! I protest! Harry, you put your name in the cupboard of the fire. No, sir. You asked one of the oldest students to do it for you? No, sir. You're absolutely sure? Yes, sir. When Michael Gambon stepped into the role of Dumbledore after the passing of Richard Harris, the character transformed from the steady, wise presence we loved in the books into a jumpy, grouchy old man we could barely even recognize. I'm not trying to say the movies are all bad. Alfonso Cuaron's Prisoner of Azkaban film is actually kind of great, but on the whole, the eight-part movie series leaves a lot to be desired. And I know this isn't a new phenomenon— Book readers complain about adaptations all the time. But here's the good news. The books are still as magical as ever. My brother Joe, who made me love Harry Potter through that force of will, recently told me a story. He was watching Deathly Hallows Part 2 on TV and grew frustrated by the depiction. The climactic battle between Harry and he who shall not be named is altered so significantly that he said he just turned it off instead of finishing it. But then he did something else. He walked upstairs, pulled book seven off the shelf, and read the final few chapters, and felt transported back to Hogwarts. Joe is now a father of three little kids, and someday, sooner than later, he's going to be thrilled to share his love for Harry Potter with his children. But I think he's going to have to instill one little rule. Book before movie, no exceptions. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, starting trouble. No one likes that. We'll get you set up for some stronger starts. You might just need a fresh charge, and we'll take care of that free of charge. But if it is time for a new battery, we've got replacement batteries that'll fit your needs, starting at just $69.99. You can learn more about our battery selection at AutoZone.com. That's what makes us America's number one battery destination. Get in zone, AutoZone. Claim based on data from the NPD Group 2021. Ah, look, it's Harper. How did he know we were at the beach? No clue, but he's not ruining our vacation. I packed Prilosec OTC. With just one pill in the morning, Prilosec OTC prevents excess acid production that can cause frequent heartburn, so we can enjoy ourselves. Speaking of, time for our luau. 
Aloha heartburn. One pill, 24 hours, zero heartburn with Prevacec OTC. It's possible while taking Prevacec OTC. Use as directed for 14 days to treat frequent heartburn, not for immediate relief. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.